to Matthew chapter 13 uh, and back to the parable of the sower uh, or the parable of the soils. We've been going through this um, series of uh, the soils and hardness versus fruitfulness for a couple of weeks and you have to apologize again and again. I apologize the farmer in me but it's the one chance that a farmer gets to talk when Jesus tells a story like this. Uh, And so Jesus told a story about a farmer who went to sow seed. And we're looking at that in in Matthew chapter 13. The first week that we looked at good soil um, and uh, how we sow sow in good soil. And that produces a harvest. And and that represents what the condition of our hearts and uh, and the, 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 the harvest will depend on the condition of our hearts. Some harvests had a 30-fold yield, some had a 60, and some had a 100-fold yield. And, and we brought out that week that God's desire is that we would have a 100-fold yield. Hands up who wants a 100-fold yield in their lives. At the end, of when the story, when the videos played back of your life, and everything that you've done, and everything that you've said, not just when you get to the end, but in everything towards that journey, a hundredfold yield. Second week, we looked at the path, the trampled soil, uh, how doubts and fears and worries trample us down and make us hard, hard hearted. And so God's word doesn't really have a chance to, to produce anything in our lives. It never gets a chance to penetrate into our lives. And so on the third week, we looked at the stony ground, usually caused by hurts and disappointments. Hurts and disappointments are usually caused by other people. I just want to put this wee caveat in. Normally the people who cause hurts and disappointments to us have no idea that they have done that. And so you're walking around with a hurt or a disappointment in your life caused maybe by another person and they have no idea that they have caused this. Um, okay, there'll be cases where they do have an idea, but... And how hurts and disappointments, we're like the farmer with those things. We push them to the edges of our lives. We don't deal with them properly. The farmer pushes the stones in the field as he's preparing the field for soil or for seed. He pushes the, the hurts or he pushes the stones to the sides, hoping that one day they'll go away. But they don't. They get buried at the edges of our lives. And, and God's purpose for our lives is always to enlarge our boundaries. And so when we come to that point of our lives, we're framed in, we're closed in, we're limited because we haven't dealt properly with these hurts and fears and disappointments. They've happened maybe at different stages of our lives. They've happened maybe when we were children. I brought out that fact that God quickened that with me as I was walking Amelia to school one day. Some of those things can come as we were just children. Some come maybe as we were teenagers or uh, in adolescent or going through that stage in life when we're trying to find our identity. Some come later on in life and we don't deal with them properly. And so what they do is they frame us in. They limit us from all that God has for us. Two Friday mornings ago I was at the castle and John shared from Exodus 1. And uh, it's not often I get to the castle, just work commitments. But when I get the chance to, I, I try and pop over to the castle for that prayer time. I always find that God stirs my heart in some way, uh, just, just being there. 
And, uh, and so two Friday mornings ago, John shared from Exodus 1. And Exodus 1 comes straight after Genesis, the end of Genesis. Um, and, uh, and he shared how God's people were fruitful and multiplied. And that word fruitful, you know, sort of stuck out with me. Fruitful. Um, hope, hope, Nigel, you don't mind me mentioning this, but um, I listened to a beautiful prayer that morning. Nigel prayed it. And it, it also made me thought, or think, you, Lord, are a God of increase. You are a God who wants your people to be fruitful and prosper. It really made me think about the word fruitfulness. And that's what... what uh, that's what, what Jesus was after when he was telling this story. Fruitfulness. You know, the Old Testament promise to God's people is that they would increase, that they would uh, prosper, that they would do well. In essence, that they would be fruitful. As they live totally for him. And God's plan has never changed for our lives. That's his plan for us, that we would be fruitful that we would prosper. And that's why I sort of changed our, asked Paul to change our, our backdrop this morning because I feel really that we need to push in on this this morning. Like this is what God's desire for our lives is. Not that we would just get by. Not that we would just manage to the end. But actually as we live every day that our lives would be fruitful and fruitfulness would be something that we would see. Fruitfulness is a rich stream that runs through Scripture from beginning to end. The word fruitfulness comes from a word, a Greek word. I get it hard enough to pronounce English words without uh, pronouncing Greek words, but it's K-A-R-P-O-S, karpos. And it really means it's when two streams come together to create something greater. When two streams, when two, sorry, when two life streams come together, to create something greater. It's more than the sum of just those two life streams. We've touched on it here before about the word synergy. Look it up. Look up the meaning of the word synergy. And within the context of scripture, it's the Lord living his life through ours to yield his great purpose and his great, his great eternal purpose. And Paul in Colossians 1 uses this word fruitful as well. He says that the gospel would be fruitful, that it would, uh, well, it would bear much fruit. But the thing that we have sort of changed where the gospel's concerned in Northern Ireland is that the gospel is a once-off decision, and then you just try and live towards the end, and one day you'll get to heaven. That was never the early church's perception of the gospel. The gospel was something that we enter into now. It's a, we enter into that life stream with God. The two become one and something greater is produced. I'm thinking of the words where Jesus said, greater things that you will do. You often wonder that. How could we ever do greater things than Christ? And so that's what he was talking about, this greater thing when two life, when two life streams become one. Today I want to look at the third type of soil that's mentioned um, here. Verse 7 uh, we, so we've looked at those 
those three, we've looked at the good soil, we've looked at the path, we've looked at the stony soil, and today I want to look at verse 7. And verse 7 says of chapter 13, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. The farmer, he went out to sow seed. And this time we're simply told that the, the seed fell among thorns. I thought I'd maybe just take a wee look at that word thorns when I'm looking at other words anyway. And that word is, talks about thistles and it talks about weeds. It talks about, um, it actually talks about the stuff that was produced as a result of sin back in Genesis chapter 3. See, Jesus, when he's telling this story, he's tying a lot of stuff together. He's pulling a lot of stuff in. And so we read that they, they uh, both grew up together. So the weeds or the thorns or the bushes grew up together with this seed that was planted, this good seed that was planted. But the result was that the weeds choked the plants. At some stage, at some stage in this journey of this plant growing, the weed overtook it, or the weed overpowered it and choked it. And it choked it um, just before, or at some stage before it was ready to produce a harvest. So the seed that was sown was useless. It was unfruitful. It was actually the opposite to what Jesus had intended. This is the worst type of soil mentioned because not alone in the the first type, um, there was nothing produced. The second type, there was uh, a plant that was produced, but it had no root. And this, this time, this plant got so far, but before it came to bearing fruit, Something choked it. Something destroyed it. As I said to you, the word, um, the word, uh, the, the same word is used for for weeds here is the same word that was used in Genesis chapter three, where sin um, was a result of man's disobedience to God. Now I'm, I just want to be mindful of something here. Uh, I just want to put in just a little caveat here. Maybe, um, maybe you're not experiencing fruitfulness in your life at the minute. Maybe your life is far from that. And, and I'm, I don't want to say that it's because of sin. For some, that might be the case, but for others, that might not be the case. Um, someone said a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, in God's kingdom, sometimes God has to subtract before he multiplies. And so maybe you're going through a season of life which feels unfruitful, but it feels as if God's pruning you. He's taking away stuff out of your life. Well, within farming context, that's sometimes what has to happen. Sometimes God has to thin out uh, the plants so that the plants can uh, prosper. So over the last week or so, my prayer has been, uh, Lord, show me the heart of what you want to say here. Really, really, let's just drive this home. Because if fruitfulness is what God's after, then what is it that is attacking fruitfulness in our lives? David, a couple of months, it's probably two months ago, before we even went into this, um, into this series, talked about blind spots. We all have blind spots. There's none of us without blind spots. He also talked a couple of weeks ago when he was sharing, he talked about Psalm 1, 
he talked about that plant or uh, Jeremiah was mentioned this morning, but Jeremiah 17, verse 8, it talks about a plant that's planted by a river and it bears fruit in its season. And I suppose I just asked myself the question, is that something I'm experiencing? Am I experiencing fruit in my life? Am I experiencing God's fruit in my life? Is life fruitful or is it fruit, fruitless? I don't want you to think about the person beside you. I don't want you to think about the person you're related to here. I don't want to think you to think about the person you're married to or the person that's, that's not here, that should be here and here in this message. I want you to do what the Bible tells us to do at times like this, is to examine our own hearts. Just sit before the Lord and examine your own hearts. And so we don't, we don't go through this series, as we said often, we don't go through this series to create condemnation. That's not our aim. Our aim is fruitfulness. Our aim is that you would multiply, that you would prosper, that you would do well. But that we would flag up maybe some things that we need to deal with in our lives. Some issues that maybe we need to lay before the Lord. Are we living within that stream of God's fruitfulness? Is there adjustments that need to be made for us to do that? The Old Testament talks about a stream, a river of God's blessing. Are we in that? We don't dictate that. We come alongside it. We be part of it. We never dictate how that stream flows. So oftentimes we come to these things and we say, God, this is how it should be. This is how you should do things. But it's not. It's us coming in line with God's stream, coming in line with what God wants to do. Verse 22 tells us that uh, the, the definition of or, or the explanation of verse 7, and we read that together. It's the one who receives... The one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life or the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches or wealth choke it and make it unfruitful. Mark 4, in Mark, when Mark's writing about this story, he says, uh, it's the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of riches or wealth and the desire for other things. Come in and choke that good stuff, God's word, in our lives and make us unfruitful. And so while the stones, I shared the last day, spoil the root, the thorns and the weeds destroy the fruit. That's what they'll do. They'll destroy the fruit of your life. Now, I don't often talk about the enemy. I don't believe the enemy should get a lot of air time. But on this time, I think it needs to be talked a wee bit about. The cares and the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things is his playing field. This is what he wants to get you. This is the enemy's tactic and we, we need to be wise how he works. You all agree with me there or not? We need to be wise how he works. Because he wants, to, he wants to draw your mind off to other things. He wants to draw your attention off to other things. He wants to draw your eyes off to other things. And we need to be wise about this. His desire is that we would fail, that we wouldn't be fruitful. 
as I said, if he doesn't get us at the root, he'll get us before we bear fruit. I know I should have been a poet with that one, but if he doesn't get us, if he doesn't get us at the root, he'll try and get us before we bear fruit. And what he does is he tries to make us take our eyes off the game. In this story, the plant gets so far, as I said. It journeys so far. And then at some stage, we don't know what the stage is. The weed, the sin overtakes it. The sin chokes it and takes it out. We're not told, so we can't be prepared. We can't say, you know what, you can grow for a while and just watch out just at the, at the fourth section of your life. The weeds are going to come and take you out. We don't know at what stage these weeds do. But Jesus mentions some, some of the things that, that, that these weeds look like. Two things he mentions. He says the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. I thought about this just for a moment. I probably could have read a whole lot of things on the internet and tried to build a whole case around this, but I just felt... Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to us today? What is it you want to talk to us about today? What is it you want to talk to me, first of all, about? Some of the cares of this world, one of the greatest cares of the people of this world is to belong. People love the sense of belonging somewhere. The common slogan in churches now is that you will not believe the message of the church until you belong, until you have a sense that you belong. But the problem with uh, today's technology, the problem with the world that we live in, we, we want to belong without commitment. There's no commitment in the belonging. You can belong to lots of different things. And, and so the enemy takes that. And he lures those things in front of you and, and entices you to belong to this and that and so many different things. But because there's no commitment, there'll be no result of belonging. Belonging without commitment is useless. The second big care of the world today is information. Information is great. It's great. Our problem is that we want to know everything. We want to Google everything. So anything we hear, anything that we, we get a snippet of, we Google. And so we form an opinion of it. But information without involvement is dangerous. Let me clarify that. As I say, we live in an instant world. When you come from a farming background, there's nothing instant. Farming is hard work. You put the work in, you get the rewards out. But we live in a society that's very instant. Instant coffee is great. It serves a purpose. But, um, but information or knowledge that, that hasn't been worked in or worked out can be dangerous. The Bible never teaches us to go for information. It never teaches us to go for, for knowledge. It always teaches us to go for wisdom. 
And wisdom, the definition of wisdom, is information or knowledge applied or worked out. And that's what the Bible tells us to go for. The third thing that of the cares of this world that uh, people long for is acceptance. We want to be accepted. And so we, we spend so much of our time and our energy and our resources on being accepted. Even churches today spend time. I appreciated what Dan said last week. 99% of our time, energy, and resources is spent on keeping people happy. It was never the focus of the church. The focus of the church was to affect your community, was to empower people to go out, to be fruitful. But we have got into this society where acceptance is a big thing. Will people accept us? As I, as I wrote this this morning, I felt that uh, God wanted to say, you are good enough. You are good enough. You've nothing to do. You've nothing to change. You're good enough. God created you. I loved what Neil shared a couple of months ago. He had a plan for your life before you even hit your mother's womb. Imagine that. Before you were in your mother's womb, Christ or God had a a purpose for your life. So you're good enough. But the enemy has this ability to have us run around in circles because it's a care of this world. Being good enough. As I was thinking about this, I was also thinking about the story of Mary and Martha. We all know that story. It's a great story. There's lots. We could spend a whole week on that story. But uh, Jesus said to Martha, you're distracted by many things. All these preparations, all these things that you're doing to try and find acceptance and approval. He says that, uh, he says, Mary's chose a better thing. One of the translations says, uh, um, where Jesus speaks to Martha, he says it twice. He says, Martha, Martha. I've always heard it said, if, if, if you hear the name repeated twice in the scriptures, there's a reason for that. Because you want to take attention, to make attention to that. Martha, Martha, you worry and upset your thing, yourself about many things, but few things are really needed at the end of the day. The one thing that is needed, Mary has chosen. And it's better, and that will not be taken away from her. Her identity was found at the feet of Jesus. Not in stuff, not in what she was doing, not in what um, could be done or should have been done. Her identity was found at the feet of Jesus. The second part of uh, what Jesus talked about in, in the in, in this that will rob you from your fruitfulness is the deceitfulness of riches. I was really on a roll with word searches like. Um, and so it comes from the Greek word A-P-A-T-E, apate. Apate. The deceitfulness of riches. The word deceitful comes from a word apate. It's 
to make unfruitful. It's to corrupt. It's to create bondage. It's uh, to create destruction or hardening or stubbornness or self-deceit. This word apiate is always used in the context of a person, not an action. And that person, that deceiver, is only one person. And that's the enemy. The enemy. And so if the enemy can't get you in what you need to do, or what needs to be done, or the busyness of life, he'll get you another way, or he'll try to get you another way. And what the enemy puts before us is idols. If I only had. You ever had those, have you ever said that? If I only had. If I only had. If I only had wealth, if I only had identity, if I only had security or position or power. And the, the enemy continually wants to trap us into focusing on these things. And really at the end of the day, the root of that is pride. It's to do with self. It's all about self. Your life is centered around yourself. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the rich young ruler. And he came to Jesus, he had everything. He even kept most of the Ten Commandments. But he knew there was something missing, something that, that could never be filled. There was some longing within him that could never be filled. And, um, and so he comes to Jesus and he said, what, do I, what must I do? Tell me one thing that I must do. Give me one piece of advice, one thing that I need to change to, so I can be part of the kingdom. Jesus had to say to him, you know what? You can't just add this on. This is not just something, an add-on with every other distraction in your life. This has to be your life. This has to be number one in your life. You see, the rich young ruler he made an idol of his money, of his possessions. And the saddest part of that story is that he went away sad. That's never God's intention for us to go away sad. He went away sad. He was left grieving and distressed because he owned much property and had many possessions, which he treasured more than his relationship with God. In Matthew 6, Jesus uh, speaks early on in his ministry and he says you can't serve two masters. He's not just specifically talking about money, but he's talking about other things. You can't serve two masters. You'll either hate one or you'll love the other. You'll either serve one or you'll serve the other. You can't have the two. He goes on to say in that same passage in Matthew 6, he says, Therefore, let me give you a piece of advice. Right out at the start of my ministry, I want to give you all a piece of advice. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Life is more important than food 
and your body is more important than clothes. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And so we put a lot of emphasis on these things, don't we? I know I do. At the end of the day, what Jesus is saying, those things don't really matter. They're second to what's what's first. And the first is him. I'm near finished. A lot of preachers say that anyway. And still go on another 15 minutes. But I'm near finished. But I couldn't but not bring you back to, to our big field. Couldn't but not. We're back at the big field. And I was thinking about this and I was praying about it. And, and I said, Lord, show me some of, some of the things that how I can relate this back. Or I felt him stirring at me that way. In our big field, we had many weeds. You'll always have weeds. Farmers will always have weeds. But the first weed that we had to deal with, or one of the weeds, not the first, but one of the weeds that we had to deal with in the big field, as good as it looked, was briars. Briars always grow at the back of hedges. And they always catch you up and want to rip you apart. That's the purpose in a briar. There's no other purpose in a briar other than to do that. I was saying, Lord, well, what does that mean? I touched on this a couple of weeks ago. Some of us like to live around the edges of our lives. Some of us like to not be in the heart of what God has for us. We we uh, talked a couple of weeks ago about the idea of being at the entrance to a field. You're half in, you're half out. You're not really committed, but you're at the you're at the boundary. But what a briar, what a briar does is um, a briar grows up, grows pretty quick, but it grows up tall. It normally grows up above the uh, the hedge. And it's kind of like a person who lives at the edges or around the hedges of life who don't really get involved. They, they sort of have this ability to stand tall and, and look around what everybody else is doing and form an opinion of that in some sort of way. You know, I hope I'm making sense. The peep over the hedge and, and kind of give this aura, I'm important. But if you come close to them, if you try to find out what they're about, they'll rip you in two. And so I got that sense that, that where briars are concerned, it's God was talking to me about a proud spirit. Pride will always try and creep into our lives. Always. And what we need to do is keep those boys cut back. Is number one. And number two is not to live at the edges of our lives. Again, I was talking with my brother yesterday and we were talking over some church issues in the sense of people becoming very disgruntled, people becoming annoyed about this or that or silly things like like we do, like who's sitting in my seat this week or who's wearing what or whatever or who didn't smile at me this morning. And we get, we get all disgruntled about these silly things. And my, my brother said to me, you know, we, we had a great way of dealing with all that. And I said, what was it? He said, bring the people out on the streets. 
start to see, bring the people out of the church onto the streets. Let them see the hopelessness that's out there. Let them see the despair that's out there. Let them see the, the need that's around them. And they soon forget about their silly little notions. Psalm 1, as David mentioned, is blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But that delights himself in the law. And sometimes we want to sit in these areas of, of briars. We want to sit in the area of, of being uncommitted, half in, half out, have an opinion of everything, and not committed to anything. You know, the word scoffer, again with my word search heart head on, um, means a false teacher. And you know, the, the, the thing about a scoffer is, where a scoffer's concerned, you'll never be right. They'll always be right. Their opinion is always right. They'll always find fault with others. As I said, they usually have an issue with commitment. They can't commit anywhere because everywhere's not as right as they are. Everywhere's not as perfect as they are because they've got this pride issue going on inside of them. We'll keep going. second one that uh, we had to deal with was nettles. And uh, nettles, um, they grow up very quickly in good ground, but where nettles normally grow is in idle ground. Robert will be able to tell you probably the type of that tractor. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Very good, Robert, very good. Good man. But nettles grow in idle ground. Let me tell you a few things about nettles. They normally grow alongside uh, briars. They have a few different uh, characteristics. As I said, they grow in idle ground. Sometimes a farmer will have a piece of ground that rubbish gathers up on. Now, to one man, this is a piece of rubbish. To Robert, this is like gold dust. But sometimes where rubbish is collected within a field, an area where we just throw stuff to one side and we say, one day we must deal with that. One day I'm going to sort that all out. That's what the farmer says. And what happens in the meanwhile is that a nettle will grow. Now, a nettle has no no value to a farmer. They grow tall and straight, and even in certain times of year they have a flower, and they look great, but they're of no value whatsoever. Like the briar, when you come close to a nettle, what they'll do is they'll sting you. You get close to a nettle, it'll sting you. And uh, one last thing about a a nettle is that a nettle, um, when harvested, gives off a bad odor. It stinks and it will destroy the crop that it's harvested with. And I said to the Lord, Lord, what, what, what are you trying to say here? And he's saying, you know what, there's sometimes there's idle areas in our lives. Sometimes our lives maybe are a wee bit idle. We're not really doing what we're called to do. And what, what actually grows in that is self-righteousness. 
this, this nettle grows tall. It's a bit like the briar, but a wee bit different. It grows tall. It's got that self-righteous attitude about it. But it's of no value whatsoever. It's kind of like someone who knows everything about everything and knows nothing about the kingdom. The third type of weed that we had to deal with was uh, a ragweed. Now, we didn't have too many of these um, because uh, um, we just didn't have too many of them. But they're strange. They're, they look like a nice, uh, nice flower to some of you ladies who like flowers or gents. Gents like flowers too. Um, but the thing about a ragweed is a ragweed is not a native uh, plant of Ireland. It's, it's imported. It came in from America. It takes good soil to grow these. Uh, they look good. Uh, they look good, but they're useless to the farmer, and they're actually useless to the uh, gardener as well. But the thing about a ragweed is if they're digested by an animal who has a weak immune system, they are poisonous. They will kill, uh, kill off Neil, you love this thing about these ragweeds is they're very high in pollen. So they create an awful irritation. You ever, you ever just irritate? You ever been around people who just irritate you? It's just like, so that's, and you can't put your finger on it. It's just like, oh, that's so irritating. <laughs> huh? No, no. The thing about a ragweed is once it gets a chance to, to hit the soil, it's got such an integral root system that it's very, very difficult to remove. And so it, uh, it needs to be uh, dug out, which takes a lot of work. And so I said to the Lord, Lord, what's, ask, what's this about? What, 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 why, why think about a ragweed? Why, why bring this up? And so ragweeds basically grow in unchecked ground. Sometimes there's areas of our lives that are completely unchecked. We, we uh, have that thing what we call uh, like a free spirit. We think that we can be a free spirit in some way. And we don't realize is that we allow things that irritate in. We allow things that are poisonous in, in these unchecked areas. And before we know it, they've taken root and they're very difficult to remove. The last one that I want to talk to you about this morning is the good old Dawkin or docks, as uh, some farmers would know them. And this is the plant that we had the most difficulty with. This plant actually grew in the middle of good soil. This plant grew in the middle of fields. And, uh, and where it actually grew was in busy soil. If you're too busy, if you're too if the soil's too busy, if it's been worked too hard, if it's been pushed too hard, then Dawkins uh, find a great place to uh, germinate there. The, the, the root of the Dawkins can live in the soil for many years, undetected. But at the right opportunity, when, when the soil is weak and when it's been over-fertilized and overstretched, the next thing you'll see is a huge harvest of of Dawkins. They're extremely stubborn. Very, very stubborn uh, plant. They're very hard for animals to digest. Um, as again, they have no value to a farmer. 
The funny thing is, if they grow in busy soil, who ever heard of when you get stung with a nettle? And we said nettles grow in idle ground. Well, if you get the, the Dawkin plant and you rub a Dawkin plant, it's supposed to take the sting of a nettle out. I'm not sure how true that is, but I'll use it for this analogy. Um, but, but I just really felt the Lord was saying something in the midst of that. If it's idle ground that nettles grow in, and if it's busy ground that Dawkins grow in, there must be somewhere in the middle where those two can cancel each other out. Just a thought. That's free. Um, they're stubborn. Stubborn. They're a stubborn plant. Sometimes we're stubborn, aren't we? Sometimes we know it all. And there's a root of stubbornness within us that says, I'm right. I mightn't display that on the outside. I might not verbalize that with my mouth, but there's a stubbornness that lies dormant within us. I'm right. I'm not going to verbalize it so nobody can challenge me on it. But you see, when the right opportunity comes along, I'm going to show a harvest of that. And a harvest of that stubbornness is shown in our lives. I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to anybody. You might say, Neville, what is all these to do with fruitfulness? Well, as from a farming perspective, you'll always have weeds. You'll always have weeds. And uh, weeds left, weeds represent sin. And, and sometimes that sin will access our lives via pride, uh, idleness, unchecknedness, um, that whole area of being a free spirit or... Um, being stubborn or being busy. Um, and so sin can easily access. And sometimes we have to do the, the hard work like the farmer. Sometimes we have to throw our lives. In this story, the farmer is not ourselves. I want to remind us of this. This farmer is God. But sometimes we need to throw ourselves out before God. And allow God to either remove these things or cut them back in our lives. If thorns and weeds are left unchecked, they continue to take good ground. Ground that will produce or that is meant to produce. And ultimately they'll lessen or destroy the harvest. As I bring this to the close, I think of what Paul said to Timothy. Paul said to Timothy, he said, be careful of worldly influences and sin. Don't get caught up with them. Don't play around with them. They'll destroy the purpose to which you've been called. But he goes on to say, keep your eyes fixed on what, is, what you've been called to, what's been spoken over your life, and that's fruitfulness. John, 1, John 1, 1 John 2, uh, 15 to um, 17. I'll just read that. 1 John. 1 John. Oh, sorry. First John 2, 15 to 17. Is that right? Uh, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, 
the cravings of sinful man, the lusts of the eyes and the boasts of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of the Father will live forever. John also writes in in his gospel, John 15, verse 16, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you would go and bear fruit, fruit of eternal value. And so whatever you ask in my name, uh, I will give to you. And the final one that I want to quote this morning is Jeremiah 4, verse 3. It says, uh, For this is what the Lord says to the men of Judah and Jerusalem. Break up the fallow ground. Open up the fallow ground. But do not sow among thorns and weeds because it's a waste of time. Fruitfulness is what he's after. But we need to be careful. We need to watch out for the weeds. We need to watch out for the thorns. We need to watch out for all these things creeping in. Because if you let them take any ground at all, they'll take over. Keep them pruned back. Keep them dug out. Keep your heart open before the Lord. And don't give them a foothold. Amen. Let's sing.